Slate spoiler specials are brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 700,000 high-quality video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code SPOILER2. Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a Slate spoiler special on Warm Bodies, the new Jonathan Levine zombie romance. And joining me from Chicago is Keith Phipps, who's a freelance pop culture writer and a friend of Slate. Hey, Keith. Hi, Dana. How are you doing? Just fine. I've been wanting to spoil a movie with you for some time, so I'm excited that we could both get to Warm Bodies and get into the studio to talk about it. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to be here. So before we get into the major plot spoilage, what did you think of Warm Bodies overall? Were you lukewarm, pro-con? I almost feel like I can't really offer a really strong opinion until we get to the plot the plot spoilage thing because I I'm 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 about to become a person I hate where people who get hung up on the mechanics of things and you know the your plot loopholes and inconsistencies at the expense of of missing the movie I really don't like it when people are like that I mean not everything has to have the airtight internal logic of of, of a looper or something but I had no idea how this movie worked this movie like the the zombies in this film made no sense to me which was a huge stumbling block for me but I mean looking past that I mean it's 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 sweet and it's easy to watch um I I I, even one day later, I'm finding it deeply unmemorable. Yeah, um, it's mild, right? It's it's mildly yeah. everything. Mildly amusing, mildly entertaining, mildly romantic, I guess, in parts, and mildly creative on the on the zombie tip. But I want to get actually. Sure. I actually enjoy doing this kind of post movie conversation on the Gabfest, including with Looper, which I do do think has some logic holes in it. Not at the expense of appreciating the movie as a whole, but when you're talking about something as high concept as this Warm Bodies movie, then I think the concept really has to hang together in order to just draw the audience in. And I agree that this this zombie concept doesn't completely hang together. But so let's get into why. So the, the the basic premise here, the basic setup is that we are in a post-apocalyptic zone of some kind. It's deliberately vague as to what's happened to create this apocalypse and why the world is now divided into zombies and non-zombies that are walled off from each other, right, in this unnamed city. But whatever it is that happened, we find ourselves there in this place that looks a little bit maybe like the mall from Dawn of the Dead, right? Just a place where Zombies are shuffling inexpressively and slowly through these ruined public spaces, mainly through an airport, which is where a lot of the the zombie action takes place. And if you stay for the credits, you find out it's the Montreal airport or a Montreal airport. Yeah, apparently this whole thing was shot in Canada, which is never, Mm -hmm. never made plain in the movie, maybe because it was a it was a cheap place to shoot. And the the setting is pretty good. I have to say that, you know, this movie looks pretty good. So so the primary zombie that we hear from who speaks in a voiceover, a very extensive voiceover at the beginning, kind of setting up this whole post-apocalyptic future is Nicholas Holt playing a zombie who can't remember his own name, as all the zombies seem to be unable to. Their their minds are a fog since they've been wandering this undead world for so such untold number of years. And all he can remember is that his name started with an R. So that's what we come to know him as, just the letter R. Alternately, R. <laughs> oh, yeah, R. Um, it didn't even strike me, actually, watching it at first, that R and Julie is Romeo and Juliet, right? It's completely yeah, it, a Romeo and Juliet story. It never really hit me until we got to the balcony scene. And... It hit me, and I heard some no, some knowing titters around me. I'm like, "Yeah, I see what we're doing here." Right, another Although mild, really, a mild Shakespeare reference there. Right, but it's not really anything that's followed through on. I mean, that's that's you know, lack of follow through is a real problem in this film. So, so, so this given that this is the universe we've set up, there's this shuffling zombie world on the other side of a huge wall that's been built between by the living humans between them and the zombies is a also post apocalyptic but somewhat more functional world where flesh and blood people sort of live in these shanty town sort of conditions. Um, it seems that John Malkovich is supposed to be, I don't get if he, 
he's he's the leader or just sort of a military leader of this of this live people community. But is he the head honcho? Is he supposed to be? He's the head honcho, and the impression I could put together that either he was in the military before, although no, they call him Mister, so maybe that he wasn't. Um, but he lives in a very big house, so he might have been the the person with a lot of money in this community before. I. I Perhaps the energy expended on actually piecing it together is not not worth it. But yeah, he's the one who's who's giving orders, and and his daughter uh, Julie is is the the, the main female character, uh, and a, a somewhat rebellious um, a somewhat rebellious daughter she is. So the setup we get after this pretty elaborate explanation of this futuristic universe, which nonetheless leaves a lot, almost all of the main important questions about it unanswered, is that um, Julie, played by Teresa Palmer who's the daughter of John Malkovich and who is also in some sort of organization like a young people's anti-zombie militia of some sort mm-hmm. with her boyfriend who's played by Dave Franco, James Franco's brother, and with um, with another character played by Annalee Tipton. So there's this young, good-looking sort of Beverly Hills 90210 set who's, who's a, a young bunch of zombie killers. They cross over to the other side of the wall to do some zombie hunting. And uh, and they all get killed except for Annalee Tipton, who escapes somehow. We don't quite see how she escapes. And the Teresa Palmer character, who, if I understand, is somewhat abducted by the zombie R. And this, to me, was a, a major, major fault with the premise that made it really hard to get behind their romance, is that one way of looking at it is that he rescues her. He does rescue her from being eaten by his fellow zombies because he falls in love with her at first sight in this kind of absurd um, scene. But... But then he forces her to come to the other side of the zombie wall and live in this abandoned airplane where he's been living and sort of keeps her hostage for several days, sort of loving hostage while protecting her from all the encircling zombies. But it was really hard for me to get behind their romance, given that it starts off in this queasy note of abduction. It's 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 the tie me up and tie me down of of uh, zombie films. The this this one, um, yeah, it was unclear. I think that was staged very poorly. Actually, it was unclear how she ended up with him. Uh, why she couldn't just run away, or who you know how she he was being prote- protecting her initially at least it was it was I thought it was very unclear as it was equally unclear to me why when she had access to all those cars she didn't just drive away but that's a little further in the film and so her boyfriend gets killed almost immediately in the zombie ambush the initial zombie fight scene and the main character R our hero. Eats, eats his brain, as zombies will do, and thereby, and this is kind of a cool concept, I think, thereby gets all of his thoughts and memories. He gets sort of a rush of memories from this character, the Dave Franco character's life, thereby discovering things about his girlfriend, you know, the fact that his, his girlfriend is the daughter of this John Malkovich president. I mean, it seems like a very small amount of information you would actually glean from a person's whole life, but he gets what he needs in order to get the background for his, for his own romance. Now, here, again, was another kind of taste problem with the movie or something. These scenes, again and again, of the brains being enjoyed, like for days afterward, I assume he's carrying them around in a baggie or something like that, were really gross, which I guess was on purpose. But they also, to me, were sort of a barrier against really starting to identify with this story because the Dave Franco character didn't seem like such a bad guy. He was a little rigid about his his zombie hunting, but, you know, he seemed like an okay person. And it didn't seem that the movie really wanted us to mourn him or to let anyone mourn him and that he was just kind of a source of, you know, cool concepts and cool memories for the, the main zombie character. So once again, the romance didn't really get me on board there. Yeah, and, and then there was the scene where, where he kind of fessed up, you know, I, I ate your boyfriend's brain. <laughs> right. And, which is treated with far less drama than, than you might imagine such a moment would be treated, um, you know, in, in a film with a little more plausibility to it. But the, the brain-eating sequences did lead to, like, these sort of lyrical tree of life-like uh, moments I thought were one of the better, um, better parts of the film. Right, too. and that are sort of a glimpse of 
the, the pre-Lapsarian universe in this movie, mm-hmm. right? So instead of everything being incredibly dingy and washed out and filthy, you can kind of see these, these rosy colors of, of times gone by. So anyway, after Julie has spent, I guess it's about three or four days in, in Zombieland, holed up in this, in this abandoned airplane with the zombie R, they sort of start to fall for each other at the very least to trust each other. And then they start to make this, this plan of escape that he's going to try to get her back across the wall to the other side of Zombieland. And here's the place where the other zombies, the rest of the zombie community comes into play, including Rob Corddry, who plays R's best friend. And this is the place, I think, probably where you're seeing a lot of, I don't even want to call them logic holes, but just sort of belief holes, things, things that make it impossible for us to, to keep, keep rooting for this story. Do you want to talk about what some of those are? Well, from the beginning, I'm, I'm a little confused as to how the protagonist has such a rich emotional inner life, or at least, at least a very talkative inner life, um, while outwardly behaving like a zombie. Um, and to me, that, that was, I thought the voiceover was, was pretty entertaining, especially in that opening scene, but, but, uh, it didn't really make sense to me that that you know that that would be how a zombie thinks. But but more than anything, uh, it, it feels like there's there's, there's a twist as uh, as it goes along as as Julie and R come to like each other and um, trust each other and and perhaps fall in love as as you say. The other zombies kind of look at this are inspired by it to the point where they're they're actual bodies start to repair themselves and their hearts start to glow a la E.T. Right. And, and there's this moment you get to see when the zombie has undergone this this transformation, a single heartbeat kind of CSI style through their chest wall. And that to me was, I had no idea what that plot development was supposed to mean. I mean, what was it sort of saying about the pseudoscience? It needs to at least establish the laws of its own pseudoscience, right? Right. It felt like the, the metaphor of the film uh, trying to over overwhelming any kind of logic that they laid on top of that metaphor where I think this film was I, I, Dana? Just tell me if I'm wrong. But this film was pro love, right? <laughs> and pro understanding and anti anti uh, violence or anti anti killing each other. Um, and you know, I think that was the whole last half is dominated by by this sort of this this coming to terms between the dead and and the living, in which the dead start to become more more like the living to the point where they're kind of indistinguishable from one another. Um, I don't know. I, I that that fault that that I'm not really sure. I'm an, I'm enough of a zombie purist to wonder why that would work at all, um, or or at least as you say, if there's the, the universe has to has to run by the rules it sets up, and and I'm not sure this this film ever establishes any kind of rules. And I think that would be okay if I was so invested in the love story or so invested in the idea of. Uh, the, the you know peace love and understanding metaphor that that it's working um, that if that was so you know carried off so richly that that I wouldn't really care but I found myself very distracted <laughs> throughout this film uh, wondering how things were working. Right. I mean, the movies focus on the kind of touchy-feely, not just the love relationship between Julie and R, but the way that that love creates these ripples that changes the whole zombie community with their, their beating hearts. It's so touchy-feely that I found myself actually wanting a little bit more brain-eating, not necessarily the close-ups of the boyfriend's brain, but, you know, just a, a little more well-filmed action. And it was almost as if, because the the conflict between the humans and the zombies was so kind of quickly and easily resolved and sort of mushy around the edges that mm-hmm. Levine, Jonathan Levine, the director, needed to provide another villain. So the, he made up this this villain that I found really unconvincing, both visually and narratively, which were the bonies, these right. kind of extra dead zombies, with the idea being, I guess, that after you'd been a zombie for long enough, if you completely lost hope, you would become a kind of living skeleton that fed on zombies. And so and from time very, to time, these... Fast. 
And it was very fast, which in itself is a huge logic hole, because if the bonies are so strong and so powerful and so fast, why haven't they just destroyed all the zombies already? Why does anyone ever get away from them? And people seem to get away from them again and again and again in this movie. And so I felt no suspense at all when these digital creations appeared. They were kind of cool looking, but they felt very digital. They didn't seem at all to be in the same frame as the actors. And they just felt like a, a device to me. And uh, well, I guess the the they're bone they're called bonies because they're str- they're stripped down to the skeletons, but there's sort of a layer of muscle on top of them. So maybe if you didn't have any sort of fat or organs to tote around, you could move a lot more quickly. I don't know. It makes you very mean, though, to to be a bony. That's that's one thing I learned. Keith, let me stop you for just a moment for a message from our new sponsor. The spoiler special is delighted to be sponsored by Shutterstock.com. With over 700,000 high-quality video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. At Shutterstock.com, you'll find the perfect video for your next creative project, whether it's for your website, for an advertisement, for a multimedia presentation, or any other type of film project. You can choose from over 700,000 high-quality stock video clips, 2D animations, and 3D motion graphics. Shutterstock sources video clips from around the world and puts them at your fingertips. You can try Shutterstock today by signing up for a free account, no credit card needed. Once you decide to purchase, use this offer code, SPOILER2, and any new account will get 30% off. That's Shutterstock.com. And for 30% off new accounts, again, you just use the offer code, SPOILER2. And the spoiler special thanks Shutterstock for their support. So, Keith, back to warm bodies. It's just, it's something that if the metaphysics of this universe were clearly laid out and we sort of knew what happens to turn someone into a bony and why that's irreversible, then then that could have maybe created some tension or some some sympathy. But instead, I really just felt like those things were just trotted out when he needed an action sequence. But it feels like we're on the same page in, the, in that the love story didn't really carry you through. Did you find the, the leads convincing, our, our um, undead Romeo and, and his uh, Juliet? I think they were both okay. I mean, Nicholas Holt mm-hmm. had a tough job before him, right? He had to make a convincing romantic hero out of someone who, for most of the movie, can barely talk and only shuffles around very slowly. And so, he, and he had to make that both a romantic hero and an action hero. And I think he, he lived up to that task fairly well. But as you say, his character doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why exactly is it that he occupies this special status among the zombies, that he's the most emo of the zombies? Could it have something to do with how he was when he was alive or the way that he died? We never really find out any background about that. There's a whole lot that we're just asked to accept from the beginning. And so I sort of felt like we have to like this guy because he's our protagonist. He's all we've got. And he likes music so much. He, he, part of the, what we discover is that he's uh, gathered a bunch of uh, records and, and, uh, and uh, um, 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 a record player in, into his little um, airplane hideaway, we want to call it, I guess. Um, and he's, he plays them. Um, and I guess they make him feel perhaps. I'm not, I'm, I was unclear on that too. It was an excuse to shovel a lot of uh, uh, good music into the, into the film though. Yeah, there is a lot of good music, but I also, I did feel that there was a lot of reveling also in, in his own musical taste. You know, there was definitely some, some, sure. some scenes that existed only to play a great song that was kind of a seeking, seeking a friend at the end of the world kind of scenario. Right. Okay. But what's the song missing you that he say, that he, he hears when he first falls in John love with? Wait, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's I, that was that's used really nicely, I have to say. And there's some there's some good craft in this movie, scene by scene. There's some funny dialogue. There's some nice use of music. There are touches throughout that make it, as we said at the beginning, mildly amusing. I, at the end, I did sort of come away feeling like, is that all there is? I wanted more of the supporting cast too. I, I like Rob Corddry. I, I think I find him kind of. I, I'm not a huge hot tub time machine fan, but I usually find him just sort of uh, amusing. Um, just his, his presence on the screen amuses me. And, and I've, I've really come to like Annalie Tipton, who was the lead in Whit Stillman's Damsels in Distress and had a memorable part in, um, um, oh, Crazy Stupid Love, the, the Steve Carell film. Uh, she's sort of a, a unique presence as well. 
Yeah, no, there's, there's smart casting choices, and this is something that if you're sort of a zombie, if you're a zombie completist and you want to sort of explore all the possibilities of the zombie genre, then it's something to see. But I feel like as far as a zombie comedy or a zomcom, as I heard it referred to somewhere, Shaun of the Dead already set the bar so high. It's just it's sure. really hard to imagine a zombie movie set in some future dystopic universe in a comic vein, you know, that would do do everything as well as that movie did. And it almost seems kind of like a dare. Like, what if we did Twilight, but instead of falling in love with a vampire, who are kind of naturally romantic figures, the heroine falls in love with a zombie, which seems a lot harder to pull off. And it is a lot harder to pull off. And I guess, in a way, this this film executes those premises about as well as you could. I just think it may be a silly premise to begin with. Well, you, when you see the ad, you think, oh, it's Twilight with zombies. And I don't think that the movie ever takes it that much further than it's Twilight with zombies. And I do, sure. I do think it could have been executed better. I feel like a, a script doctor could have made a couple passes, gotten rid of the bonies, you know, maybe sharpened up the conflict a little bit. And then we might have cared about the romance a little bit more. There are a couple of nice filmmaking moments in it, though. There's a, one shot I really liked where the – although it's one of the sillier scenes, but it's the scenes where the, the zombies are looking at the uh, the poster in the airport. And there's kind of a – a focus pulling moment where you see their reflection, you see what they're looking at, and then you see the bonies behind them, and it's all done like in one one take, probably with a lot of digital alteration, but still a nice a nice nice moment. I don't want to give away what happens at the end, but the very last shot I thought was also was also a, a really nice one, and a, a moment in which big special effects were used to a somewhat emotionally poignant purpose. I agree. Keith, I'm wondering, too, how you felt about the, the gender, I wouldn't quite say gender politics, but the way gender is presented in this movie and whether you might not be able to read and whether you might be able to read Julie, the beautiful, alive Teresa Palmer character who saves the zombies from their plight as kind of the ultimate manic pixie dream girl who literally brings life and makes their heart beat and changes their world just by existing. Well, if nothing else, my friend Nathan Rabin will remember it for coining the phrase manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, that, it's it. true. That's, that phrase has had some real legs. Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, it, it, it um, you know, to a point, I think, I think she has more dimensionality than that. And she kind of has a life of her own and desires of her own. And she um, doesn't really, she enters, we see her before she meets uh, our zombie hero and, and she has other things going on. So I, I, and I think, but yeah, ultimately she is just there to bring him back to life, so to speak. Uh, so she kind of plays that role. There's, there's echoes of it, but I think there's there are far. Um, I think I don't think she is the ultimate manic pixie dream girl. I think I think there are suggestions of that. There are far worse offenders in that genre. That's for sure. Right. Exactly. And what about John Malkovich? What was he doing in there? I was very underwhelmed by his his presence in this movie. The casting didn't seem to make any sense. He seemed a very you know, given that he's the leader of what's left of the free world, which it seems to be maybe a couple of hundred people in this film, um, um, kind of a little relaxed, a little not, you know, he, he barks orders, but, but not as much as you, as you might think. There's, there's, a, there's not sort of that intimidating, um, you know, hard-bitten military man uh, element to his character. There's, there was something missing from that performance, I think. Yeah, he under-emoted to an almost disturbing degree, especially in the scene where he's reunited with his daughter after mm-hmm. he thought she'd been consu- consumed by zombies. <laughs> You'd think you'd be a little happier to reunite. And that actually made me feel like, wait, is he supposed to be a bad guy? Are we not supposed to believe that he really cares about his daughter? But I think we are. I think that is just a combination of, you know, an underwritten part and a little bit of an underacted part on, on Malkovich's part. Mm-hmm. So this is the third film of, of Jonathan Levine, a very young director who's only made three movies, I think. He made The Wackness, which is sort of a nostalgic coming-of-age movie, but remembering his, his high school years in the early 90s. And then he made 50-50 last year, that Joseph Gordon-Levitt 
uh, Seth Rogen movie about about the guy who's diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer. So three very different movies. And uh, kind of odd that he's going down this genre route in this one. I respect him trying to mess with the genre and, and do something new with it, but I'm sort of hoping that he turns back to the more psychologically realistic world for his next movie. I definitely felt like the personal elements and the character interactions were more deeply felt and better executed than the genre elements in this film, uh, which I think we, we may have established at this point were, were a little muddled. Yeah, the action completely muddled. It doesn't seem like he's comfortable or really in, enjoying himself making an action movie. And the moments that he does seem to enjoy himself are those moments on the plane, some of the sweet interactions between between R and Julie, you know, the, the musical interactions and so forth. It seems like the movie really exists to be a romance. And, and in a way, that's that's sort of nice that there's a zombie movie that's out there, you know, for, for dates and to appeal to, to not just action fans. There is brain eating, though, so be prepared. Yeah, plenty of it. All right. Well, Keith, I guess I guess that's it. We have nothing else to say about warm bodies. You're going to steer people away in general? I guess. I mean, yeah, I, I, I can see it being a pleasant enough rental, but I, I, this doesn't strike me as a, a, a wonderful night out at the movie theater. Yeah, this how, isn't, how about, this how, isn't how shelling you? out 12 bucks on a January night, right? Sure. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think the same. If, if somebody's really interested in, in zombie romances, they could they could check it out on cable later. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in to join me for this late spoiler special. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'd love to come back sometime. Please come back for a better movie very soon. Our producer is Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. And I also want to thank Joe Dassault for setting up Keith at WBEZ Studios in Chicago to talk to us. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.